so good to uh, be with you today, and any of you that are new with us, I already met some people that this is their first time, man, welcome, so glad uh, that you are here. So I do have the privilege this morning of opening God's word with you, and um, I do not take that lightly. I'm really grateful for the opportunity to do that. So as you know, we've been in this series like 150 weeks of Jesus changing everything, not quite that many, but it has been amazing to see just over these almost 30, it'll be 30 weeks coming up of the Lord just continuing to teach us more about who he is and what he's doing in our lives, what he's doing in our community. And uh, so we're continuing in that today, but as a way of introduction and kind of just give some context, you know, we talk a lot here about bringing life to our city by loving God and living the gospel. And so it may be that some of you are like, okay, what does that mean? What does it mean to, to live the gospel? We understand the gospel, the word gospel means good news. It's the good news of Jesus Christ, specifically the message that Jesus came to this earth. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He's the only one ever who lived without any sin. And he went to the cross and he died in our place. And when he did that, he died for our sins. The scripture in Romans says that, that the wages of sin, the penalty of sin is death. Um, and when Jesus died on the cross, he actually paid the penalty for our sin, a penalty that you and I could not pay. So Jesus paid for our sins, but he did not remain dead. He showed his victory over death by three days later rising from the grave, victorious over death and sin, and he reigns uh, forevermore. So that is the gospel. Uh, Jerry Bridges, the great teacher and author, talks about the gospel being a gate and a pathway. So it, it is the gate into salvation. It is the gate into eternal life. But it is the pathway in which you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, walk. Uh, there's a big word for that that we call sanctification. It's that idea of God continuing to reform us, to continuing to transform us, renewing our minds, renewing our lives around the gospel. And so that's the hope, right? That as believers in Christ, as we come together in Christ, that we would be consistently challenging one another and pushing one another towards the life that God has called us uh, to live. The life of the Christian should be this constant state of being renewed and transformed to look more and more like Jesus. And so today, I would like to discuss uh, one major way uh, that I believe that Jesus is changing us, and I believe that the, the Scripture teaches us a way that Jesus is changing us, and that is how we view and understand our suffering. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Uh, how do we view and understand suffering and sorrow, and, and I would submit to you today that one major factor used by God in this growth and maturing that he is doing in our lives is through suffering. And so with that kind of framework, I actually want to pray again that the Lord would open our hearts and open our minds to hear from him. Let's pray. Father God, we do ask that in this time you would do the work of opening our hearts. God, we know it is your Holy Spirit. Scripture says that illuminates the truth to us. And so, Father, today we are dependent upon the Spirit to do that work. Father, would you help me? God, may I just simply be able to uh, proclaim this truth, Father, that is from your word. And, Father, may you use it to encourage, to equip, to challenge us. 
as we follow you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So I think it's good as we jump into this topic to first kind of define what I mean when I say suffering. Many times the term suffering um, is reserved for those major, you know, catastrophic things in life that cause great loss or sorrow. And that is definitely true. That's certainly true. Um, but what we talk about when I, when I talk about suffering, what I mean is just the, the regular things in life that happen to all of us because we live in a broken world that has been greatly dramatically damaged by sin. In this world, sickness and disease live, and our bodies break down, and they don't function properly. Some of us are experiencing that more and more. Uh, In this world, uh, pain, sometimes chronic, sometimes acute, assaults and attacks us. Um, We live in a broken world where people die. Food decays. Wars rage. Governments are corrupt. People take what isn't theirs and inflict violence on one another. Spouses act hatefully toward each other. Children are abused instead of protected. People slowly die of starvation or die suddenly from disease. Sexual and gender confusion lives. Drugs addict and destroy. Gossip destroys reputations. Lust, greed controls our hearts. Bitterness and on and on and on. We live in a very broken world where suffering and trials are part of our world. Uh, I've heard it said that basically in life, we're kind of in three phases. We're either uh, just coming out of a trial, we're either presently in a trial, or the day will come soon where we'll be entering into some sort of trial. And that is a result of sin. That is a result of the fact that you and I live in this broken world who's been dramatically, uh, drastically damaged by sin. However, though we all suffer, we don't all suffer the same, right? Um, There is something that is important for us to understand when we talk about suffering, and it's this. Your suffering, my suffering, is more powerfully shaped by what's in your heart than by what's in your body or the world around you. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Suffering is real, The sickness and the pain that you are experiencing is real. That diagnosis is real. That relational hurt or anxiety, pain, or loss you feel is real. But the way you experience all those harsh realities is greatly shaped by the thoughts, desires, dreams, expectations, fears, and assumptions of your heart. Your responses to the situations in life, whether physical, relational, circumstantial, are always more determined by what's inside of you than by the things that you are facing. This is why people experience uh, dramatically different responses to maybe the same situations of difficulty. This is why the writer of Proverbs says, guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow springs of life. So there's so much that we could say about suffering because really the Bible teaches us so much about the topic, but I really just want us to look at three passages today um, and, and help us to see three amazing truths uh, regarding suffering and specifically uh, the purpose of suffering. So if you are a note taker, I'm going to give you my points right from the beginning, all right? They're going to be on the screen. It says this, number one, suffering can lead us to our greatest growth in Jesus. Suffering can lead us to our greatest growth in Jesus. Number two, suffering can be used 
to proclaim the message of Jesus. And then number three, suffering can lead us to the greatest blessings from Jesus. So if you have your Bibles or on your phone or whatever, if you'll look up 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, it will be on the screen um, as well. And so we're going to spend a moment in this passage of scripture and kind of work our way through a couple different passages. But this is 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'm going to start at the beginning of the chapter, read a couple verses, and then actually skip to the end of the chapter. It starts like this. Paul Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. I'm going to jump down to verse 11. To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's word for us today. So Paul is talking to the church in Thessalonica where there are many new believers. Uh, the Lord has been doing a great work, but they are experiencing great persecution and suffering. Paul gives his normal greeting, grace and peace uh, to you. Um, and then he proceeds to tell them really just how proud he is of them. He commends them and celebrates them for, uh, for their growth, for their faith in the Lord, uh, for their love for one another, uh, that they are loving one another the way that they should. He even says that he is so proud of this church that he's telling other churches about what he sees here. This is an amazing thing that is happening here. So what is so great about this church that Paul is compelled to not only encourage them, but then actually even tell other churches about the work that is happening here. What's so great about what's happening in this church? Surely it's the great teaching that's happening, right? Surely it's the amazing music. Surely it's the fact that they have Dunkin' Donuts on Sunday morning. Can I get an amen? amen. Right, I mean, there's great things that are going on, but that's not at all what Paul is talking about. Verse four, he says this, therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God. So we tell other people about you, other churches for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. It is their endurance in suffering that Paul points to as evidence of the work of God in their midst. This word steadfast is not a word we use often in our common vernacular, but it's used all throughout the Bible. And I had a friend who was in the Navy and way into sailing and uh, he explained this word one time like this. He basically said, you know, it's a word of commitment, right? It's a, it's a word of devotion. Uh, but he gave this visual of if you were in the Navy and you were given a command to hold the rope, that meant hold the rope no matter what. So if you're, if you're thrown overboard, you're not letting go of that rope. That's the, that's the picture of steadfast. So Paul is saying you are steadfast in your faith even in the face 
of persecution and affliction. He goes on in verse 11, and he says, to this end. So Paul is referring back here. In verse 11, he's referring back to verses 3 and 4, and he's going to give a purpose statement. So um, I'm going to share now why this good work is happening in you. And he says this. He says, to this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. So this is that, that work of sanctification that we were talking about earlier, this idea of maturing in Christ. Paul is saying that the suffering that you are experiencing is not worthless. It's not meaningless, but it actually has great purpose. And it is part of God making you worthy of his calling. So first of all, we recognize that it is God who makes us worthy. Scripture says that. We can't do anything to, to make ourselves worthy. But God is using suffering in our lives to make us worthy of his calling and to fulfill every resolve for good. Again, um, we talk about God being a good God. Even today, we've sung songs about the goodness of our Lord. Something that is always helpful to understand when we talk about our good God. God is the one who defines what is good. Like there's things about life now that aren't good. Let's just be honest. There's things that are actually pretty terrible but, we're, but if we're able to view things through the perspective of God, God is the one who is defining what is good. God is using suffering in our lives to make us worthy of his calling and to produce good. Malachi chapter 3, the, the prophet says that the Messiah, Jesus, is coming to refine us and to purify us like silver. Isn't that awesome? To make us worthy. And then in verse 12, it says this, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified. So let me ask you, do you see your suffering as God working in your life to make you worthy of his calling? Do you see your suffering or your sorrow as God working in your life to glorify himself? According to this passage, that's exactly what God is wanting to do through our suffering. Now, does this mean that we shouldn't pray for healing or deliverance? Of course not. By all means, we should greatly pray because God is the one who heals. God is the one who delivers. But we must recognize that our suffering, as long as it may last, is purposeful. And if we do remain in that suffering, God is using it for our own growth and for his glory. So suffering that you and I experience can be used to produce the greatest growth in our lives. Secondly, suffering can be used to proclaim the message of Jesus. So if you'll turn back a little bit in your Bible to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, uh, we talk here about the message of Jesus. So the message of Jesus is the message of the church. When you think about that, what is it that comes to mind? What is the great message uh, that the world needs to hear from the church. And there are several things that we could say here, right? The, the world needs to see and hear our kindness and our love. Uh, the world needs to see um, us being authentic and genuine people. The world needs to see us serve uh, without any selfish ambition. These are all true, uh, but, but the message of the church is the message of Jesus. And, and I would submit that... Um, that God wants to do something in our suffering 
to help proclaim the message of Jesus. The church needs to be seen with unshakable joy in the midst of suffering. Verse 20 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is talking to the church at Corinth and he says this, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Paul is reminding uh, the church of the message of Jesus and that we are the ambassadors of Christ. We have been sent to carry this message to the world. Then he goes on in chapter 6, verse 3, continuing this same thought. He says, We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. Paul is saying we want the message of Christ, the message of Jesus to be loud and clear and we don't want any obstacle in the way. As many of you know, Sonny and I have four kids ranging from 16 to 3. And let's just be real honest, there's times in our home that it is complete chaos, all right? Um, And in that chaos, there are times that our three-year-old story will kind of grab my face because she has something that is desperate that she shares it and I have her full, that, and she's, I'm giving her her full attention, my full attention, right? Normally, it's something about a cookie or something of great importance that she needs. So she'll grab my face because she wants this message to not be missed. That's the message here. Paul says, we cannot let anything get in the way of the message of Christ. So how do we do that? Verse four, but as servants of God, We commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. Paul is saying that if the world is going to hear the message, it must come from a people who are able to endure suffering and hardship and sorrow with great joy. It must come from a people who are not weak or easily defeated, a people who are fully satisfied in Jesus that will not let suffering minimize the message. There isn't a greater testimony of the power of God than when you hear it from someone who has experienced great suffering, right? Some of you have heard this story uh, before, but years ago, Tim and I served at a church in Yukon and... um, uh, there's a guy in that church by the name of Kale Penny. Kale uh, was, I don't know, maybe 40s, um, like our age now, which is weird to think about that. But he was in his 40s, early 50s maybe, and he was diagnosed with a glioblastoma. And if you know anything about that type of tumor, um, it is a fast-growing brain tumor. Um, and that was the case for Kale. He, uh, this tumor grew really fast, and he was declining uh, quick. I remember days that his wife... Uh, would call up to the church and need help getting Kale from the shower and getting him back to his bed. And so we'd go up and help. And, and I remember one particular Sunday um, that I had the privilege of leading worship and we were singing this song about the kindness of God that, from that scripture that says, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. And we're singing and right in the middle of the song, I see Kale uh, come walking down the aisle. And at this point, Kale's tumor had grown uh, to the point that it was actually visible. 
And so he'd wear this bandana thing over his head. And I see him come down the aisle as we're singing about the kindness of God, see our brother Cale just fall on the, on the steps of the altar, praising and worshiping God. And that, that memory has etched in my mind. I'll never forget it as long as I live. And when I remember it, it leads me to praise God. How could somebody in that place with that type of suffering, suffering that, Lord willing, none of us would ever experience, that type of suffering display such joy and such satisfaction in Jesus? Paul says we want to remove the obstacles from the world hearing and receiving the message of Jesus. And one way that that happens is by the people of God displaying unshakable joy in the face of suffering and sorrow. Finally, suffering can lead us to the greatest blessings from Jesus. I want to go to an Old Testament example here. If you're familiar with your Bible, when you think about suffering, the first person that probably comes to your mind is the person of Job. If you've ever read his story, and we don't have time to share all of it today, but I want to just kind of give you a brief uh, synopsis of the life of Job. Uh, so Job, the scripture tells us in the first verse that he was an extremely wealthy and godly man. In fact, at verse one, it says that, that Job was a blameless and upright man who feared God and turned away from evil. Can I just uh, give a quick side note here? Um, if you've ever been taught that your suffering is because of your sin or like your suffering is somehow punishment for your sin, can I just humbly and graciously say that that is not what the Bible teaches at all? That's so far from the truth. Romans 8 tells us that, that, um, that there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ, that when Christ died on the cross, he paid the penalty completely for the debt that you and I owe because of our sin. So, so you are not under punishment anymore, but now because of Jesus, you're under his grace and his mercy. And I think Job is a perfect example of this. This is a guy that scripture says that he lived a blameless and upright life, but yet we see great suffering from this brother. Scripture goes on, it says that, um, uh, it says that, the, that Satan approached the Lord and asked permission uh, to bring calamity, to bring suffering into Job's life. And as a result of the Lord giving that permission, uh, Job lost everything. He lost all of his possessions. He lost his children. Uh, he then experienced this horrific illness where boils came up all over his body, causing great pain. Um, it's in this time that Scripture tells us in, verse, in chapter 2 that his wife kind of turned against him. She said, are you still holding on to your integrity? Why don't you just curse God and die? Um, ladies, let me encourage you. That's not the way to support your husband. Um, I'm doing some premarital counseling right now for a couple. I, this is like chapter one. Don't do this, okay? Um, this is not good. Um, Job had three friends that enter the picture, um, and uh, they tried to, to comfort Job and to mourn with him, but Honestly, their message was just, what's wrong with you? What did you do to bring this all upon yourself? And so they give these big lengthy speeches, and, 
And Job continues to just trust in the Lord and understand his sovereignty. But the Lord uses all of this in Job's life to teach him amazing truth, where even in the middle of his suffering, Job is able to say these amazing words where he says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord is teaching him so much about God's sovereignty and about God revealing himself to him even in his suffering. But I want to, there's something very specific that I want us to see at the end of this story that honestly, I, uh, I heard a, a message on this recently and I was just blown away by this reality. It's Job chapter 42. So if you have, it'll be on the screen as well, but Job chapter 42, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 10. It says this, and the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave twice as much as he had before. Then came to him all of his brothers and his sisters and all who had known him before, and they ate bread with him in his house. And, he showed them, and they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. So just a quick side note. In chapter 19 of Job, all of these people that are at his house, they betrayed him. They all left. In fact, Job says he felt like a foreigner to them, but yet here he is now embracing them into his home and showing hospitality and feeding them. What an amazing picture of mercy and forgiveness. And then verse 12, it says this, and the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys, he had also seven sons and three daughters, and he called the name of the first daughter Jemima, the name of the second Keziah, and the name of the third Kareen Hapik. That's fun, isn't it? Say that with me. Kareen Hapik. Very nice. And in all the land, there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons Four generations, and Job died an old man and full of days. So here we have Job, who has faced horrific suffering and sorrow, yet he remains steadfast in his joy. And so we see the Lord's blessing on Job. The scripture says that the Lord gave two times what he had lost. It says that Job had 14,000 sheep. Well, earlier in the book, uh, we see that he lost 7,000 sheep says that he is given 6,000 camels. Earlier we saw that he lost 3,000 camels. Those of you struggling with math, it's okay. We'll get there. Um, he gave 1,000 oxen and 1,000 female donkeys. Earlier he had lost 500 oxen, 500 donkeys. It says that the Lord gave him seven sons and three daughters. And these daughters were the most beautiful women in all the land. And I love their names, right? Uh, they were named Jemima, Keziah, and Kareen Hapik, any of our ladies who are pregnant and thinking about baby names, I would just submit these to you as viable options. Um, so these names are incredibly important for us understanding what the Lord is doing in blessing and the restoring of Job's life. The name Jemima means dove. The name Keziah means a pleasant smelling herb. And the name Kareen Hapik means horn of beauty. Now, why is this so important? Remember, these are daughters that are given to Job 
after he had lost his other children. His other children were killed. Job could have easily been a bitter old man, right? He had experienced great loss and suffering, but instead of dwelling in his loss, he chose to live in the present grace and blessing of God and find tremendous joy in the family that God had graciously provided him. He loved his family and he received them as a blessing from God. And then the very last verse in this story is absolutely amazing, and I don't want us to miss this. Verse 16 says this, And after this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his sons and his sons' sons, four generations. And Job died an old man and full of days. This last phrase that ends this story is one of the most amazing things as you understand what's being said here, the phrase full of days means this, fully satisfied and content with all the happiness that life could give without one regret. I want you to just think about that for just a moment. Job, who had experienced horrible suffering and sorrow and loss, gets to the end of his life and is able to say, I wouldn't have changed a thing. I'm fully content, fully satisfied with what the Lord has done. Man, I want this, right? I mean, I want to live life in such a way that even with the suffering and the sorrow and even with the joy, that I would get to the end of my life and say, God, I trusted you through all of it. I trusted you through all of it. Even though some of it was really hard, even though some of it was incredibly difficult, God, I was able to remain joyful because of what you've done in my life and because of what you're doing in my life. Brothers and sisters, may we be able to look through our suffering and see the Lord's blessing. Jesus has changed and is changing everything. He is teaching us to see that our suffering has purpose. We can experience unshakable joy even in the difficult things of life. Because we know that suffering can lead to our greatest growth in Jesus. Suffering can be used to proclaim the message of Jesus. And suffering can lead us to the greatest blessings from Jesus. So how do we respond to this today? The reality is there's some of you here uh, this morning that are like right in the middle of it. Like you're right in the middle of the trial or the suffering uh, that 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 we're talking about here. And it could be that today you, you just need somebody to pray with you and for you, that you'd be able to experience joy in the midst of suffering. And so here in a moment, we're gonna sing a song and some of our prayer team will be up here or maybe you just wanna come and kneel and pray and say, God, may I see the suffering that I'm going through as, as purposeful, that you wanna use it in my life or maybe have someone pray with you. And let me just say, first of all, if you're here today and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you've never confessed your sin, repented of your sin, and placed your faith in Jesus, um, friend, you, you can't experience this type of joy that we're talking about because this type of joy only comes from Jesus. So, I mean, I, we've all seen people in our life that have gone through great tragedy and they're able to do it with grace and with joy. And you think, how do they do that? 
The answer is Jesus. That's the only way. That's the only way any of us could walk through a life that is difficult at times, but find hope and find joy. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, please, uh, just like uh, just like was said from, from 2 Corinthians, we're begging you. You gotta hear this message. And we don't want anything to get in the way of you hearing the message of Jesus, this message that changes not only your life, but changes your eternity. And so it could be that today you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And so I would just ask you to just come and talk to myself, or Tim, there'll be several of us down here and we'd love to pray with you and talk to you a little about what it means to follow Jesus. And then there's other, others of you here that um, you're kind of in this state where you're like, man, things are good, right? I mean, life's, life's pretty good. And so I would, just, I would just encourage you, the day will come when things aren't quite as good. There will be something in your life that is difficult. There'll be a loss or, or some sort of sorrow or suffering. And I would just say that now is the time to prepare yourself for that, that you would be prepared now to place your faith and your trust and your joy in Jesus. So in that moment when the world kind of comes around you, uh, that you'd be able to remain joyful, fully satisfied, content in Jesus Christ. And so I'm gonna pray for us. And after we pray, we're gonna sing a song that basically has this challenge. I'm gonna build my life on Christ. I love this because the reality is things are difficult. And so if we build our life on Christ, he is consistent. He's the same. Even though the world is changing around us, Christ is the same. And we can find hope and joy and fulfillment in him. So as we sing this, if you wanna talk with somebody or have someone pray with you, invite you to come forward during this time. Let's pray together. Father God, you are a faithful, sovereign, loving, forgiving, grace-giving, kind Lord. God, we praise you and we thank you. And Father, the reality is we live in a broken world that has been devastated with sin. And Father, our only hope is Jesus. And so, Father, we thank you for Jesus. Father, we thank you that even in our suffering, even in the, in the things that are difficult, God, you can renew that and bring hope. God, you can renew that and bring joy. And Father, you wanna use that joy in our lives for growth, for your glory. God, you wanna use that suffering for, to, to help share the message of Christ, to not let any obstacle get in the way, but that as people of God, that we would remain joyful in unshakable joy in the midst of suffering. God, help us. And Father, that you want to pour out your blessing on us, even in suffering. Father, we thank you. And so, Father, I pray for those who are here today that don't have a relationship with you. Father, may today be the day of salvation for them. God, may they hear the message of Jesus and respond today in repentance and faith. God, for those of us in the room who may be experiencing suffering, God, would you just comfort them in your love? God, would you renew their minds and allow them to see that even in this suffering, God, you want to use it for their good and for your glory. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your church. God, would you minister to our needs in this moment? It's in the name of Christ that we pray.